just want to do God's will. The kind of revolution that the world needs is a Christian revolution. If you want a miracle, you've got to expect it to happen. You're the recipients of God's grace and God's blessings, and you rejoice in that reality. Welcome to Life Today Live. Randy Robinson here, and I just love the testimonies of what God does in people's lives. And if you're old like me, and you're looking at the generations following, and you're going, man, you know, Lord, do something. Do we have any hope? Yes, always. God does amazing things with situations that you think are completely impossible. And just to put a little emphasis on that truth today, I have a young man named Michael Hale. He is with me. He has a book out telling his experience and, geez, the things that he's gone through. You'll hear some of them. It's called Pursued, and I love the title uh, because that is really the heart of God. I mean, we, we think sometimes that he just can't wait to get us and correct our mistakes. But if you look in Scripture, that story about the prodigal son is really about the father of the prodigal son. It's someone who's just waiting on us to come home so he can put a ring on our finger, put a robe on us, give us a feast. Uh, and, and once I think we understand that, you start to, to see a little bit of the hope that is in Christ, and I would say our only hope. So with that, Michael, great to have you today on Life Today Live. Welcome to the program. Thank you, Randy. I'm really grateful to be here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of turn it over to you a little bit here. Um, I, I just want to hear how, you know, how did you get to the place you were at? Um, what were some of the things going on in your head? I guess kind of show us the the pig pen before we talk about the return home because man you yeah. were you were in the muck. I sure was. I like to phrase it like this. I was raised to believe that I was a sophisticated monkey that there was no meaning to my existence that I came from a bomb. My origin was a cosmic mishap. There was no meaning or purpose to it. When I died, I turned to dirt and I lost everything that I ever lived for. That's what they taught me in school. Yeah. The world was just telling me, Hey, eat, drink, be merry for tomorrow you die. And I, I, I looked at Christianity, which there was very little of in, in the, the place I grew up, but there was enough of to, to look at it and say, well, all that religion, it doesn't look like they're enjoying life. <laughs> and, and I didn't know enough about it. And, and all the world around me was just saying, Hey, the best way to live life is through drugs and through drinking and through partying and through hooking up because these things make you feel good. And all I could think was, well, life is short. Uh, we better live it to its fullest while we can. Cause once it's gone, it's over for good. And, that really led to me just in it just indulging in all the things people said should give me pleasure mm -hmm. but the more i had them the more i needed them and at some point i couldn't function without them and it wasn't it was it was just a fleeting pleasure none of it was lasting mm -hmm. it was temporary it was deceitful and it left me scrambling mm -hmm. now did you grow up there in utah I did. So a lot of Mormons in your town? A whole lot of them. Did I'm, I'm curious, because that's, that's a whole other kind of conversation to a degree, but did that have any influence on your perception of Christianity? 
Yes. So my population was 80% Mormon and there was one church within a 15 mile radius and it was uh, all old people. So I, I didn't even meet born again Christians my age until I moved away to college and they're praying for people. They're like, Hey, bring us your drug addict friends. Like we're going to minister to them. Like there's hope and healing and, and God does miracles and uh, all this stuff that I thought was reserved in the history books. It all just came out and I realized <laughs> okay. it was real. I want, I want to talk about that. But so now, so is this high school that where you started using drugs in high school and in, in junior high, junior, yeah, so junior 13 high. to 18, oh really? Gosh, how are we talking smoking a little weed or how hardcore was it? It started with weed and over the counter pills. So cough medicine, just getting high on cough medicine oh. and things like that. And where did it end? It ended with me as a heroin addict, completely incapable of of facing a day without some sort of substance pulsing through my veins. I wake up and all I could think about was my next fix and where to get it. And it didn't matter what it was. Jeez. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm, you see... We see people like that on the streets a lot. You were still at home, I'm guessing. You... Somehow my parents refused to give up on me. Mm -hmm. They just kept loving me and loving me. Mm -hmm. They should have kicked me out because I was putting them through hell itself. My mother was up all night just praying. Uh, there was, I would disappear for days at a time, and she would just pray her heart out for me, just wondering where her prodigal son was. Mm -hmm. And... I, I would be overdosing. I would be doing all sorts of ridiculous things. Now, so your, your parents, were they Christians? Are they Christians? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So that's interesting. I mean, you're in a Christian home in the middle of Mormon land, addicted yes. to, to drugs and hardcore. Where'd you go to college? I went uh, undergrad at the University of Utah and then graduate school at Wheaton College. <laughs> Something happened for you to go to grad school at Wheaton. Yeah. Right? So, so let's go. To walk us through the college experience where, I mean, you met Christians your own age and just, I want to hear how God used that. So leading up to college, I think it's really important to add this. I had been arrested half a dozen times with dozens of allegations and it just kept getting worse and worse and hitting rock bottom couldn't change me. I had court-ordered counseling. My license was suspended for multiple years. I had multiple DUIs. I had AA meetings that were mandatory. I had all this counseling that was forced on me. I had thousands of dollars in fines, and none of it could wake me up. Mm. And I kept running this life people said should be meaningful and enjoyable and fun. And I realized the more I succeeded in this life, the more messed up I was more messed up my life was and I realized I was running a race to see who could screw up their life the most and I was winning it mm. and it didn't matter I was getting paid to party and that any high school student or college student would be envious of me and a lot of them were 
I knew that that life was empty. I had the best that it had to offer it and it was completely void of meaning. And so I reassessed what else is life for? And I saw this other trajectory, these people who were being successful and who were earning money and who were going on nice vacations. And I thought maybe that's a, that's a viable alternative. So even while I was doing drugs, I kind of switched my life and it was extremely hard, but I, I started focusing on schooling and education and just hoping that that had a little bit more meaning. And of course it was just as empty. Hmm. It was both of these things. They were just rat races. And it's like, once you hit a goal, you're still empty and you need more. And maybe you're happy for a moment or a week or a month, but you get that job, you get that house, you get that spouse, and then you need more. And at some point I just realized it's like a hamster on a wheel. Yeah. And when I died, I lost it all anyway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's when God interjected into it. I, love, I mean, you went from hedonism to materialism. Uh, <laughs> and both of them, I mean, one is less destructive than the other on the outside, but both just as empty. I find that interesting. All right. So, yeah. so how did God intervene? So my first night on campus, I met three Christians and we ended up staying up till three, four, five in the morning. It just talking about God and they, it was a campus of 35,000 people and I could not shake them. None of us had the same majors. We shouldn't have been running into each other, but everywhere I went, these same three people kept <laughs> popping up. And every time I'd see them, they'd invite me to a Bible study and I very politely declined because I thought that was lame. And they, they finally convinced me by telling me there would be food and girls. <laughs> And so right, right. superficial, shallow college kid that I was, I thought, okay, I think I can make it here. And when I went, I, I found friendship that was real and deep and meaningful. And these people were so considerate. And I, I had come from this drug life where people only contact you when they want to use you, when they need something. And mm -hmm. for me, as a drug dealer, as someone who always had the connections and the girls and the parties, people would always just use me. And now I'm in this new paradigm where these people are, they're loving Jesus. They're praying for each other. They're talking about their faults and their problems and, and the plan that God has for their lives. And it really, it really just struck me that if God is real, then he put us here for a reason and he knows exactly why he made us and how he made us. He wired our hearts together. I don't even know what I want, let alone what I need. Mm. Mm. And yet, if God is real, he knows exactly why I'm here, what he made me for. And more than that, why I malfunction so often. I, how long did it take to, to kind of break off the the old habits and, and well, start to form your own relationship with God. It took years. Really? And, and what I'm explaining here is I kept having encounters with God, a God I wasn't even sure I believed in, kept, kept interjecting himself into my life mm. through these concrete miracles I couldn't deny. And that included him breaking me free from a jail cell uh, to my parents getting me a lawyer 
even uh, for my second DUI, they paid for this lawyer and he was a Christian and he stood up and he represented me and the court deemed me not guilty for a crime I had committed because God did a miracle and he erased all the evidence, all the drugs from the blood tests that they had performed. <laughs> and I just realized it was the gospel happening right in front of me. It was, you know, Jesus stands on our defense, even though we're guilty, we're innocent. Uh, he, he ensures we're innocent. Mm. And I had seen so many things pointing to him and so many miracles pointing to him but I still couldn't get it. And I think part of that is because of the hurt that religion had done in my life, that the the Mormon church always claimed they're the one true church. And I thought they represented all of Christianity. Mm. And I think a lot of us have been hurt by religion before. And we're judging God based on how Christians had treated us when they weren't acting like Christians. Yeah. And those people might not have even been Christians, but we're still judging God based on that instead of on who he is. So what? Yeah, yeah, no doubt about that. Um, and and any time someone wants to talk to me about how bad Christians are, I, I mean, I'm I'm like, what about Christ? Do you know what he said? Do you know what he did? I mean, can, yeah. I, I I I agree with you that people are fault, faulty and people are often wrong. People are messed up. We're in agreement. They're hypocrites. You know, yeah. lots of hypocrites in the church. So I mean, you can join. One more won't matter. You know, um, <laughs> but. What about Christ, you know? Um, so yeah. what, how, how did you get to the what about Christ part where things changed? So with God working in my heart in all these different ways, it climaxed when I had a skiing accident where I shattered my femur. Mm. My leg was detached from the rest of my body. Oh. I was hanging on the edge of a cliff in the backcountry outside of cell phone service. And I, I was confident I was dying and the pain was so severe. I, I wanted to die. My sister was with me and she was trying to call 911. Our phones didn't work. And I'm screaming like death itself in the background. And, and suddenly she just shakes me because it's so loud. And she's just trying to calm me down and trying to calm me down. And in, in the midst of all of that, I realize, God, I'm about to come and meet you i'm gonna meet you soon and i've lived my whole life for myself i've lived my whole life in rebellion to you almost like i'm running the opposite way with my middle finger out and and now i'm gonna meet you and in that moment i just prayed and i said god i believe if you want to you can save me but if not then thank you for my life and i saw all the stupid things i've done all the messed up things i've done and Within 30 seconds of saying that prayer, uh, two crosses descended on me, two crosses bathed in a background of blood red. It was two ski patrol. Oh, yeah. And they just happened to have an hour long break. And God sent them exactly where I was at when I needed them. They said, hey, we've got an hour, just enough time to go back country. And he sent them for me. And when they saw my leg, they saw it was, they cut off my snow pants. They saw it was detached from the rest of the body, just hanging there. And they told me, okay, there are two arteries that go in your leg past your femur. If either of those are cut, you're going to bleed to death in the next five to 10 minutes. 
So that was the second miracle. The first one was praying for help and God sending it. The second one was just the fact it takes two to three pounds of pressure per square inch to cut an artery. It takes 1,800 pounds of pressure per square inch to break your femur bone. So 1,800 pounds of pressure broke my femur bone, cut it diagonally, tore apart my tendon, my ligament, my muscle, everything in there except not even three of those 1,800 to 2,000 pounds touched my artery because God was protecting it. And all I could ask especially once the doctor went over that with me he said it's a miracle your life but all i could ask was god why would you save me if there's anyone you could have let die it would have been me why did you save me and in that moment i met jesus just like you were saying randy him god i, I realized he's not a pile of bricks <laughs> and he's not a set of outdated rules. He's a living being and he represents himself and he loves us. And I don't know why, because if there's anyone he should not love, it would have been me. <laughs> and he still saved my life. And more than that, he died for me. Yeah, uh, and, and that's the gospel right there. That's the beauty of it right there. Even while we we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. And it's his will that none should perish. And it just, I, as a snow skier, I'm just, I'm cringing over here. And not everybody knows a lot of the snow patrol, uh, or ski patrol, I, I don't think all of them do, but a lot of them do. They wear the, you know, the cross symbol, the, the medical kind of symbol. And so that is wild. And I, now I get, by the way, the cover of your book, because there's one of those ski <laughs> patrol symbols right there. You're right there under the word yep. pursued. That's so, it. Yeah. So and that, that is the book, by the way, pursued by Michael J. Heil. Uh, if you want to get the details of the story, but where do you go? Where do you go from there? I mean, obviously the hospital, how long was that? So it took about three months before I could walk again with titanium rods and bolts and screws in, in my leg holding me together. And of course I was prescribed a plethora of opiates. Yeah. And, uh, I it was such a battle getting prescribed those and i did end up abusing them and that just that broke my heart into pieces mm -hmm. just this fact that god you saved me even though you knew i would stab you in the back even though you knew i would keep struggling and keep failing you chose to save my life and i remember going through that healing process and my mom would just sit at the foot of my bed and she would just read the bible to me mm. and she was just so grateful to have her son her prodigal child her little vagabond you know saying i i just need jesus i just want to read the bible to you and just crying out for god's god's help uh, yes yeah, so the the detox though i mean that's the hard thing and and a lot of good people i mean look i've had i got titanium uh plates in my face so I, I, I get it. Um, and you know, you, I don't want to start too much here online, but I mean, you can pray for the pain to go away, but when it, and it doesn't always, you know? And so I, there's times I think that you can take what God's made everything God made, you know, but the, the addictive aspect of it is problematic. I hate drugs. I get off them as quick as I can. If I, if I take some for, like a post-surgery yeah. kind of thing. What was your, what was your, uh, detox or withdrawal process? Yeah. So 
by God's grace, I was able to stop using heroin and all the other hard drugs. And, and I've been clean from those for 12 years, Hmm. 12 or 13 years. Uh, with weed, even after I got saved, I tried it a few times. I tried it, I think, three times. And each time, it was like the heavens opened up and I saw God's glory and it terrified me. It, it scared me out of my boots. And I, after that, I just thought, I don't, I, I used to need this thing just to survive. I couldn't even appreciate a day without it. I don't need it anymore. This, I'm fine. And so God delivered me from that one as well. But a lot of the other things I had to fight for. So nicotine, that was one that on and off for a decade, I had to fight just to, especially during stressful times, it was something that I would turn to. And then alcohol in moderation, if if you're free to drink is okay. And so that's a very fine balance because your society is doing it and I'm healed. I, I'm a new creation and it doesn't rule me the way it used to. Uh, but I also have to be very intentional about it. And sometimes it's just not worth doing it. Yeah. And I, I find that a lot of people that have uh, a, a detrimental struggle with one particular thing, I mean, just something like, like I know some people that were in the rock and roll industry and all that went with it, the, the sex and the yeah. drugs and the alcohol. And they got to the point where they're like, I can't even listen to rock music anymore because they had an association with all these other negative things. Oh, and yeah. so anyone who's been addicted to alcohol, who's basically ruined their lives, the lives of others with their use of alcohol, I mean, just getting rid of it is usually like the only course where they can stay because they can go back. I mean, I got a, another friend who is a <laughs> well-known rock star. Um and man, he can't touch it because it just it he it it just triggers him in a physical and uh, way that just man it just messes him up bad. So I mean, God knows, and he'll walk us through. How did you get to Wheaton? What was that process? So after being saved, God, it, it was ironic because all I wanted my whole life was to get out of Utah, and when I when I went through that accident, I just I met God. I encountered him and I told him, Lord, you're enough for me. I'll stay here as long as you're with me. You're all I need. You're all I've been looking for. And I, in that moment, I surrendered that idol that to leave. Mm -hmm. And I just said, you're enough, God. And ironically, when I did that, he launched me out like a, like a wrecking ball. And he introduced me to, to different mission organizations. I worked with YWAM. I worked with OM and that's where I've done all this traveling and all this mission work. I went to China and learned Mandarin Chinese and just <laughs> and ministered to the underground house church. And I finally, I fell so in love with mission work that I thought this is my calling. And I went to Wheaton College because of their, their program was really highly reputed. Yep. So I, I did that. And then ironically, God called me back home. He said, hey, you remember that place you grew up in? And remember that promise you gave me where you said you would stay there because I'm enough for you? Now I'm calling you back. Mm. And this place is less than 1% evangelical Christian here. So it really is a mission field. There's less than in the 1040 window. It's an, it's an important place to be. Well, you know, if you talk about Mormons with God's grace, you're going to have a lot of long conversations. 
<laughs> very long run. and often very unfruitful. That's why sometimes it's more appropriate to just spend time with drug addicts, just like you just did, right? You spent time with these people who are like, I know I need something. I know I need <laughs> Jesus. I know I need help. So is that what a lot of what you found yourself doing? Uh, I know you've been to jail for other reasons than, than being incarcerated. Is that is that where you're finding a lot of ministry? I'm I'm running a program called Evangelism Explosion for for our church, mm-hmm. my local church, and that's a lot of ministry to Mormons. And there are some drug addicts and skater kids. It, it's just a, a mesh of everything that you encounter with that. But additionally, there are I am going to different detention programs and different schools and sharing with them as well. What what do you by the way, I guess your parents are thrilled with you now. Yeah. They're thrilled with God, but but yes, they yeah. Yeah, and you know, you're right. Uh <laughs> but I also know I mean, just they're thankful. I bet they're just thankful, you know. Um what do you say Honor. what do you say to a parent who's got a child who's where you were, who's running the wrong way, pursuing the wrong things? Uh, maybe addicted, maybe in trouble, and they and they're like, man, I don't see any hope for my kid because that's heartbreaking, man. Yeah, that is heartbreaking. Don't give up on them, please. Don't give up on them. And when you're weary and when you have nothing left to give, just remember how God has loved you through all of your ups and all of your downs, and let that be your fuel. Don't pull the re- the love from the reservoir of your own heart, pull it from his reservoir because God is with you in this mess and he's with your child in this mess and he knows exactly what they need. And believe it or not, he is working. He's doing stuff. He's, he's, he's doing more to reach them than we could ever imagine. And he loves them and he cares, but also have those difficult conversations. Don't be afraid. I know they keep shutting you out. I know it seems impossible. Like you're talking to a stone, but eventually all the fertilizer, all the good things you're pouring into that God can break those stone cold callous hearts and it'll pour in. God can, God can redeem all that time you're investing, but set boundaries and follow through with the consequences. Don't enable them. them. They're manipulative. They'll keep manipulating you. They, they're not going to grow from counseling as long as they want this lifestyle. And, and they just need to know that you're for them and that you love them, but they also need to face the consequences of their own actions. If you keep facing it for them, then in bailing them out, they're never going to learn and they're never going to grow up. And, well, and interesting you say that because you got bailed out at one point. Um, did you also have to pay a lot of, did you, did you not get bailed out a lot of times too? I think if if I would have had to face my consequences sooner, I think I probably would have come out of it earlier. Interesting. I Interesting. think because they kept bailing me out, I just kept doing it and thinking I could get away with anything and thinking I was invincible until literally the whole world had to crumble. Yeah. But if I would have had to face the smaller things, I really believe it would have made me at least aware of how my actions were affecting my family, my loved ones, and how much it was hurting them. <laughs> that is such, that is so hard for a parent too, because you don't know when to let your, you don't want your children to ever suffer, you know? Yeah. Uh, and you, you, and that re- really requires, I don't think there's a magic formula for it. That requires yeah. discernment, prayer. Um, and there will be times when you, 
when you step in, when you intervene, there will be times when you when you don't, and that's that's a hard hard thing for a parent. Yeah. Uh, so for maybe someone who is stuck through this interview because they relate to you, because they're where you were, uh, whether it's pursuing the materialism or whether it's addicted or partying or even if it's just someone who's like, you know, I've kind of rejected this God thing, but I'm kind of exploring now. Um, I just, you know, man, I, I feel empty ev- everywhere else. So, you know, this guy says, there's something else out there. I don't know. What do you say to that skeptic who is searching? Yeah, I would say that God really, Jesus makes this promise. He says, peace I leave with you, peace I give unto you. Peace not as the world gives, but my peace I give to you. And his peace is something that's lasting and it's something that's real and it's something that makes you whole from the inside out. It makes you complete where you're you're okay to face yourself in the morning and where you're 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 at peace with the people around you You have good relationships you're you're whole you're healing you're not just using everyone and your life spiraling out of control and in this world the peace that it gives us it's this tiny transient fleeting thing that always leaves us empty but jesus is promising us he promises us something full and it's not easy but nothing valuable is it takes work to buy a home it takes a lot of intentionality and savings and planning this is valuable and really what god's doing is he's calling us to flee from these empty things and to pursue something that's full Mm. but he also promises us you don't have to go through it alone everything you've tried probably has failed if you're like me Mm And that feeling of waking up every day and thinking, I'm hopeless, there's nothing I can do. That feeling eats you alive, but there is something God can do. And he loves you more than you could ever imagine. And it's not some transient thing. It's it's real. It's life changing. Yeah. He's sitting in heaven. He's interceding for you day in and day out. He's praying for you. You're the center of his heart. He cares and he can make the difference that you can't. Yeah. And for you, it was definitely life changing and life saving. So appreciate you, man. Um, Do you speak? uh, I I know you speak, but if someone's like, hey, we need this in our town and we're willing to bring you, do you travel? Yes. Yeah. And it's all on my website. They can book it everything's right there okay uh, that's what i was getting all right you can go to michael j it's pronounced hail uh dot com looks like Hale, but it's pronounced hail michael j h-e-i-l if you're listening uh dot com and get information about him as well as the book the book is pursued looks just like this you can get it where you get books and you might need to buy that for someone in your life um and and that's okay that'd be a good thing uh michael man i i love hearing what god's done and now continues to do in, in your life. And the, you're getting to see a lot of impact on, on people. I'm guessing you've got some, you're collecting stories of people that are hearing what God's done in your life and saying, I want that in my life and seeing some good things. Yes. Yeah. Last Easter, I actually got to speak at the facility 
that I was locked up in as a kid. (laughs) We did two services there and every single kid that attended raised their hand and just said, I need, I need more. I need Jesus. I'm tired of running this race on my own. I can't do it anymore. And I need his help. That was really, really encouraging. I I mean, isn't that in a sense, not not to put a wrong term in, in this place, but isn't there a kind of a high that comes from that? There can be. And and actually, Randy, there's different studies that talk about the combating addiction, combating hedonism with uh, eudaimonic happiness. So combating this idea of all we live for is a pleasure or a feeling with we can live for a purpose. So it's, it's yeah. when you give someone a purpose to live for, then that can actually fuel their soul in a way where they can trade off this addiction. And there's no greater purpose than living for God's glory. Yeah. And, and, and serving others too. And you know what? I think, I think what you see, we're seeing there is a genuine thing God created uh, because there is a satisfaction of the soul when you're pursuing God, when you're living where in the sweet spot of where, you know, he wants you to be. Uh, and I think the false, the, the counterfeit would be the drug high uh, and the, the hedonistic high, even the materialism yeah. high. So I, I think you're onto something. Thank you again, Michael. I appreciate your testimony. I appreciate you sharing it with us today. Thank you, Randy. Man, you guys out there watching, you want to hit that share button and say, look what God's done in one person's life and look what he wants to do in all of our lives. You are never beyond hope if you're still breathing. God has a plan for you. And uh, it's time to maybe turn around and let God catch you. He's been pursuing you. So appreciate you being here. Come back. We've got more for you here on Life Today Live.